You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Today we're going to start our series on Pentecost. We were supposed to start last week, which was Pentecost Sunday, uh, but today we're going to launch this series on Pentecost. Now, this series isn't necessarily about the festival of Pentecost. Rather, it's about what happened on the day of Pentecost that's recorded in Acts chapter 2 uh, that Jim read about earlier. What happened on that day when the Holy Spirit descended upon those who were in up, the upper room and sort of the beginning of what we know as the local church, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to, and to the ends of the earth. And so really this Pentecost series is, uh, is about the Holy Spirit more than it's about the festival of Pentecost. Why was the Holy Spirit sent to us? Why did Jesus say that he needed to go to the Father and that he would send another just like him and that it was beneficial for us to have the Spirit dwelling within us than Jesus dwelling among us? And so we're going to talk about a lot of those ideas. Uh, Saint Basil the Great said this, he said, what does the Spirit do? His works are ineffable in majesty and innumerable in quantity. How can we even ponder what extends beyond the ages? What did he do before creation began? How great are the graces he showered on creation? What power will he wield in the age to come? He existed. He preexisted. He coexisted with the Father and the Son before the ages. Even if you can imagine anything beyond the ages, you will discover that the Spirit is even further beyond. I think it's important to say from the onset here that we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk today in particular about the Trinity. And these ideas have a great amount of mystery around them. Uh, we've said this before, that there is mystery in the ideas of God, trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. But the moment that we can put God in some definable box or the Trinity or the Holy Spirit in this really clearly defined box, we have now eliminated all mystery from who God is and more than likely have created a God in our own image, one that's understandable. We are not able to fully understand the mystery of the Holy Spirit, the mystery of God, the mystery of the Trinity or the Godhead. Uh, we read in the scripture how important the Holy Spirit is from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The scriptures are filled with the Spirit's movement and activity. Genesis chapter 1 records the Holy Spirit and the end of Revelation, the very last chapter records also with the Holy Spirit. And so throughout all scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is there as part of the Godhead and perhaps maybe the most um misunderstood perhaps maybe the most um uh, the the most ignored i would say the most ignored person of the godhead we oftentimes pray to the father we oftentimes talk about jesus but because things can get weird and people have made the holy spirit weird we tend to sometimes 
ignore the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's the one who's dwelling with us, who's leading us and guiding us, our comforter, our helper, our advocate. Um, and so it's important that we have these discussions about the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself trying to explain to the disciples why the Holy Spirit was coming in John chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16. He says, and he prepares disciples that, listen, I got to go away to the Father. It's better for you that I go away to the Father, but I'm sending another just like me, uh, uh, another helper just like me. Uh, Parakletos is, is what it is in the Greek, an advocate to come, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, we see, Jim read this earlier, that there was this promise, that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Go away in Jerusalem, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And in in Acts chapter 2, what Jim also um, read is that we see that disciples did receive on the day of Pentecost the power that Jesus promised. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There came a sound like a rushing mighty wind. Cloven tongues of fire rested upon them. They were all filled with the Spirit, the Scripture says, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So as we start the series on the Holy Spirit, it's important to ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, we need to real, realize that the Holy Spirit first shows up in creation. That the creation story has the Spirit of God right there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was void. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. So we first see the Holy Spirit showing up in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, in the very beginning during the creation story. Hovering over the face, brooding over the face of the deep. And we see this idea of the Spirit Although not explicitly said, it's implied when God said, let us make man in our image. Interestingly, God is declaring a community. He's declaring himself with some plurality here. Let us make man in our image. There's some sort of community that's happening there. And what that community is in doctrinal terminology is the doctrine of the Trinity, what we know is the doctrine of the Trinity. And I think we have to start here with the Trinity. If we're going to ask who the Holy Spirit is, we have to sort of construct this understanding of what the Trinity is. And the word Trinity itself um, does not appear in Scripture at all. It doesn't exist in Scripture. But the notion of the Trinity does. So if you went to the back of your Bible or any concordance and looked up the word Trinity to try to find which Scripture says Trinity, there's not one. Not one scripture uses the word Trinity, but there are multiple scriptures that infer the idea that um, declare the notion of this idea of Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, Henry Nouwen said this about the Trinity. The great challenge is to discover that we are truly invited to participate in the divine life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this divine life of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, what we know as the Trinity. Now, I'm going to give you three scriptural statements, three definitives that scriptures speak in regards to the Trinity. 
Um, before I do that, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we've talked about this before, where these people came together and really wrestled with what is it that we believe about particular ideas in regards to Scripture. Here's what they had to say about the Trinity. They said this, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. We say it again. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power, and equal in glory. This is how they defined it. So here are the three statements that I want us to know as we start to unpack the Holy Spirit in our lives and frame it within the reference of he being a part of the Godhead, the Trinity, the third part of the Godhead, the Trinity. Number one, that God is three persons. God is three persons. The Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. That there are three distinct persons in the Godhead or the Trinity. We see this in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom, in whom I am well pleased. Here we see the definitives of God as three persons. We see Jesus in the flesh, incarnate, being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And as he comes up out of the water, here we have Jesus in the flesh. We have the heavens open up. We have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus. And then we have God the Father speaking from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. All three of them working together for the sake of humanity. God is three persons. Now, three distinct persons. We see that God the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending as like a dove, and Jesus coming up out of the water, having been baptized in the flesh. The second statement is this, that not only is God three persons, but each person is fully God. Now, stick with me here. I know it's a lot, but... And there's mystery to it, and, and it can get confusing, but just hang with me here because this is critical. This is foundational to our Christian doctrine. So God is three persons. Each person is fully God. Now, when it comes to God the Father, this isn't really debated that God the Father is fully God. Matter of fact, most people would consider a lot of the Old Testament references to God in regards to God the Father, Yahweh as God the Father. And so there's not really been any people who have debated whether God the Father is fully God. When we come to God the Son, there is some debate. People do have debate. We're going to talk about it in a minute here about whether Jesus was actually fully God or not. And so we have the Son who is fully God. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 tells us that in the beginning was the Word. That word, Word, is a capital W. It is a proper noun and it is referencing Jesus himself. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. 
And we know it's talking about Jesus because down in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, so we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's referring specifically to Jesus, the Son of God. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3, expounds on this a little bit in regards to Jesus. And he says that this, he says this, Jesus is, quote, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. The Hebrews writer is telling us, as John was telling us in his gospel, that Jesus is the son of God and that Jesus is fully God. So God the Father is fully God. God the Son, Jesus, is also fully God. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit is attributed with all of these sort of divine characteristics that we've talked about, the communicable and incommunicable divine characteristics or divine nature of God. The Holy Spirit is attributed with these sort of characteristics, that he has omniscience, that he can search all things, that he knows all things, even the very deep things of each man's heart, um, that there's an omnipresence to the Holy Spirit. Again, these are attributes that are only attributed to God, that where can I go? Where can I hide from your spirit? The spirit searches all things and the spirit is present everywhere. Where can I go from your spirit? The psalmist declares there's nowhere that I can go. Nowhere I can hide from your spirit. Divine uh, uh, attributes of omniscience and omnipresence. Uh, divine attributes of regeneration. That the Holy Spirit is what causes us to be regenerated. causes new life to come in our hearts. Uh, and so these are just a few of the divine attributes that are, that are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. There are much more, but we would take all day trying to explain all of the divine attributes of the Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is also fully God. God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. God the Holy Spirit is fully God. So God is three persons and each person is fully God. It's interesting that the Great Commission defines or aligns the three of these with an implication that all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, are equally God. The Great Commission tells us that we should go, therefore, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all three, each person equally God. And then the third statement is this, that there is one God. God is three persons. All three are fully God, and there is one God. God is one and three at the same time, but not in the same way. That God is one in essence, three in person. One in essence, three in person. Again, mystery. If we could fully comprehend this, if our minds could fully grasp all of this, it would eliminate mystery and we would be left with, without a God, we'd be left with an idol. But he's one in essence, three in person. So there's only one God. God is only one being. There are not three gods. There's only one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, it's its declaration. God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. There is only one God. 
God is one being. There are not three gods, one God, three persons. Now, Wayne Grudem, in his book on systematic theology, says it like this. The only distinctions between the members of the Trinity are in the ways they relate to each other and the ways they relate to creation. So this, this Godhead, this triune Godhead, this community of love is one God in three distinct persons that are each equally God. And the only distinctions between these three distinct persons is not in their Godness. No, they are all fully God. It's in how they relate to each other and how they relate to creation. How they in interact with and engage with creation. Okay, so they are the same and similar in reign, all three equally God, but subordinate in roles. Not subordinate in the sense that God the Father is one and Jesus is two and the, the, the Holy Spirit is three in a condescending order or an order of importance. No, no, no. Subordinate roles in that, the, in that Jesus submits himself to the Father as the Father sends him into the earth. And the Holy Spirit submits himself to Jesus as Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to to testify back to the Father and to the Son. They're working all three together for the sake of declaring the glory of God as three in one. One God, three distinct persons, similar or the same in reign, but subordinate in roles. Now, as confusing as this can be, and I understand that, here are three major errors that happen when we talk about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. And I'm setting this table because what I want us to see is that when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Pentecost, the 120 that were in the upper room, when they began to speak in other tongues, it wasn't intended to be just like an event, an emotional event. How, what was intended to happen was that the Spirit was coming now to indwell within the people of God, which was the birth of the local church. And now all of a sudden, they have within them the power of the Holy Spirit to help lead them, guide them, and direct them, teach them, comfort them, advocate for them, uh, help them grow in the ways of the kingdom of God, in mountaintop experiences, in valley experiences, in good times and in bad times, in exciting times and mundane, boring times, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And so we need to recognize that this power of the Spirit that dwells within us is God. God in us through the Holy Spirit. So here are the three main errors. The first one is called modalism. Modalism. And that error is basically this, that God isn't really three persons, but that God is one person who operates in three different sort of modes. And so it, mode one was God the Father over creation. He created everything, created man in his image, and then recognized that he needed to save uh, humankind. And so he shifted from being a God the Father mode into being a son mode. And so he left heaven and took on the form as just son. And so it's modalism. He he fulfills modes as needed, right? And what it does, modalism, is that it overemphasizes uh, God's oneness. 
So it makes this declaration that God is one God, which is a true statement, but overemphasizes that God is one God and eliminates the distinctiveness of God. And so it says God is one God, but we just see him operating in different modes, like God the Father, and now he, he needs to operate as God the Son, and then he operates as God the Holy Spirit. And that is um, not true. This is an error in understanding the Trinity. The uh, second error is this is called Arianism. It's from Arius, the Bishop of Alexandria. And that was this, that Christ is a or was a created being. He was like God, but not actually God. And in some ways, I think that we can unintentionally fall into this ideology that Christ was a created being, that Christ was um, our best example of what it looks like to be a good human. And we sort of eliminate the godness of Christ. We eliminate what's known as the hypostatic union, that Christ was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. We try to eliminate the ministry or the mystery of that idea by just saying that he was like God, but he wasn't actually God. And within that, there's certain elements of like subordinationism, meaning that Christ was eternal, but he wasn't divine or adoptionism, that Christ was an ordinary person, an ordinary human until he was baptized. And when he was baptized, that he was supernaturally empowered. And that's what made him godlike or gave him the powers to be this sort of perfect human. These are errors in um, the theology of the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. And then lastly, lastly is tritheism, tritheism. And that's this, this, this denies that there is one God, uh, or this declares that God is three persons and each person is fully God, but that they are three fully separate gods. And so it over, overemphasizes God's personhood or the personhood of the three. Okay, does that make sense? So tritheism, it, it denies that there is just one God. It makes the declaration that, that there are three gods, essentially, and each of them are fully God and overemphasizes the personhood of the Trinity. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're like me, you've probably experienced this where people have tried to use metaphors and imagery to make this make sense. Um, we've used egg analogies, we've used water analogies, we've used clover analogies, we've used all of these different analogies, these flat, static um, analogies to try to explain this dynamic relationship and community of the Trinity, and they just all fall short. And I'm gonna, I, I have these sort of crude illustrations I'm gonna share with you a little bit here to explain this to you. So one of the first things that falls short when we try to explain or understand the Trinity is this what we consider like this egg analogy that God's being is uh, or we have to understand that God's being is not divided into three equal parts belonging to three members of the Trinity. And so this egg analogy would look something like this. We have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit but like that they're, that they're equal parts of one God but divided and separated from one another. So the egg analogy would be like this, there's the shell, there's the yolk, and, and there's the whites, right? There's three separate components completely different um, elements within the egg. This is not the way that we want to view, this static idea is not the way that we want to view the Holy Spirit. It's not the way we want to view the Father or the Son. It's not the way we want to view the Trinity, that they are three equal parts of oneness or three separate divided equal parts of one. 
the other way that we try to do this is that the personal distinctions in the Trinity, um, like there's something added on to God's real being. And so we kind of look at it this way, that here is God's being and the distinctiveness of the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit is sort of attached onto God's beingness. Like these are attachments to who God is. So the way we view these distinctions of the Father, Son, and Spirit attached to who God is. And this is like the clover analogy that gets used, like a three-leaf clover that that we will, well, on one part, we have one leaf, which is the Father, one leaf, which is the Son, one leaf, which is the Holy Spirit. These are connected to the overall clover, which is, so it, it falls short. It's a, it's a static way, an objective way of trying to view this very dynamic relationship of the Trinity. Does it work? The third one that we try to use is this water analogy and that the persons of the Trinity are not just three different ways. And we have to realize that the persons of the Trinity are not just three different ways to look at God. So the water analogy kind of does that, right? So you have liquid water. If you heat water up, it becomes steam, but it's still H2O. And if you freeze water, it becomes ice, still has the components of H2O. But the problem with that sort of idea is it establishes this way of like, well, this is just how we're viewing viewing the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at this point, that we're viewing them as, in one moment, water, as one moment, steam, as another moment, ice. But the problem with that is, is that they can't be water, steam, and ice at the same time. And so it falls short from really explaining, again, the dynamic relationship of the Holy Spirit. I think the best way for us to begin to understand and comprehend, at least get a little bit of a glimpse into the mystery of the Holy Spirit, is to see that there are three distinct persons within the Trinity. And that the being of each person is equal to the whole being of God. So it would look something a little bit more like this. We see that the Father is distinct, but also a part of the whole. That the Son is distinct, but also a part of the whole. That the Holy Spirit is distinct, but also a part of the whole. And that all of these move in and out through and in within each other. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not the Father and so on and so forth. But they move and engage and interact as a community together. Take a deep breath. I know it's a lot. I think probably the best way to describe this, even this idea here of this movement, this dynamic movement of each distinct but a part of the whole, is what uh, the word is called perichoresis, perichoresis. Um, Richard Rohr, I believe, uh, coined the idea of the divine dance, the divine dance. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, the third member in this divine, this dynamic divine dance, this eternal community of eternity past, eternity present, eternity future, this eternal community of mutual love and mutual submission. Okay, this divine dance between this eternal community of submission, mutual love and mutual submission. 
And what this idea of perichoresis or this divine dance does for us is this allows the individuality of the persons of God, the individuality of the persons of God to be maintained while insisting that each person shares in the life of the other two. That there is such a beautiful dance, a beautiful movement between the lives of the others. Alistair McGrath said it like this, an image often used to express this idea is that of a community of being, that the Trinity is a community of being in which each person, okay, in which each person, while maintaining its distinct identity, each distinct identity, has the ability to penetrate to the others and also be penetrated by them. There is a movement within themselves, this beautiful divine dance, this community, eternal community, this community of being, if you will, where they each begin to move, mutually submitting to one another, but at the same time uh, maintaining their distinct identity. So the Holy Spirit is the third part of this Godhead Trinity. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Godhead, the third part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. But the Holy Spirit is equally God as the Father and Son and moves in mutual submission in a community of oneness with the Father and with the Son. Now, this is an important baseline for us to understand as we begin to talk about in future weeks the Holy Spirit now residing within us and the Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us, and directing us and helping the fruit of the kingdom be manifest in our lives. I know it's a lot of teaching today, very, uh, sometimes maybe even confusing. I understand it falls a little short to try to communicate about the Holy Spirit, um, but I hope, you, I hope you've caught some of this. Louis Burkhoff said this, he said, the Trinity is a mystery far beyond our comprehension and is the incomprehensible glory of the Godhead. Now he said that, way more beautifully than everything I just said in the last 20 or so minutes. The Trinity is a mystery far beyond our comprehension. It is the incomprehensible glory of the Godhead. And then Charlie Shelf said this as we get ready to close. God is a divine dance of delight, mutual donation, and effervescent, effervescent rather, joy. In both his absolute being and his self-disclosing service towards humankind, we see the source of our flourishing. This is what the Godhead, this is what the Trinity is all about. A divine dance of delight. And so I, I want us to prepare our hearts. I want us to prepare for this sermon series on the Holy Spirit, recognizing that everything that we talk about regarding the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the third person of the Godhead, the nature of God himself present and dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Father, oh, there's such richness in the Godhead, in the Trinity, 
It's so incomprehensible, and yet we need to do our best to study, to to look deeply into what it means to be people uh, of the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And, And to be led by the Spirit, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is equally God in this Godhead, this triune Godhead. And so, Lord, help our hearts to receive this mystery of the Holy Spirit as we prepare to walk through um, living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being taught by the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to submit and yield to the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit himself. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.